you are at Founders FAQ, answers to all the possible questions of a founder. I like having people who are comfortable vocalizing their perspectives in a, in a, in a strong way because I'll come to the table with a strong perspective. So I want that to be pushed back on me. Um, biggest blind spot that a founder can have is thinking they're always going to be right, right? So you need to surround yourself not with yes people, but people who are willing to think critically with you. Welcome to Founders of AQ. Today, my guest is Lisa Barnett. Lisa is co-founder and president of Little Spoon, a fresh direct-to-consumer baby food and early childhood nutrition company reinventing the modern parents' experience of keeping their child happy and healthy. Prior to Little Spoon, Lisa spent eight years as an investor and operator at some of the world's top consumer brands. Her venture experience included time spent as a partner at Sharpa Foundry and before that, an investor at at VC firms Maverick and Thornroom Fund. Lisa is also a Forbes third under third member. Hey, hey Lisa, thank you for coming to Founders of Radio. Thanks for having me. Um, my first question is like all the founder challenge, what was your biggest challenge uh, while we start the uh, little school? Oh, it's hard to, I mean, I think one of the biggest things for, for me personally, when I was leaving and right before starting Little Spoon, I was working in venture capital um, out in San Francisco. I think I had a hard time uh, with all of the no's. You get a lot of people telling you either you shouldn't do this, it's not a good idea, or once you do start to pursue building your company, um, go out for fundraising, even going out to hire, you get a lot of people who don't see what you say. Um, and I think that, you know, it's, it's a bit of mind over matter. And I had to really train myself to embrace, uh, a, just knowing I'm never going to exactly know what's going to happen. Um, I'm not going to know if I'm going to get that. Yes. That I really need to, you know, fund my company or whatever it is. Um, but I have to trust in myself that I'll figure it out either way. And then two, I think really just training your mind to take in the information, take in the feedback, but have a real filter on, you know, what matters and what doesn't. So if someone doesn't believe in what you're doing, hear them, don't block them out, but you don't necessarily have to listen to what they're saying and believe what they're saying, because you're the only person who is spending 24 hours a day, seven days a week thinking about this problem. So you can't expect people to see things in the way you see it, particularly in a pre-launch phase. And the team is pretty important and like scaling with A plus people is pretty important and you're around like 30 people. So what's the formula to get A plus people in your team? Scale. People are everything. You cannot underestimate bringing on incredible humans to help build what you're building. Um, it, it, you know, having a team provides you so much leverage as a leader in a company so that you can really be focusing your time where the biggest fire is or the most strategic piece um, of your business is at that time. Um, the, the best the most success that we've had is really just having a very transparent and upfront interview process. So really, you know, explaining, letting people see what the culture is like, what we believe in, how we make decisions, because even though that might not land you every single candidate that comes across your door, having that openness and and transparency and really trying to like show all the values and aspects of your culture through that interview process will find you a good match. I mean, it's just like finding a co-founder, finding an investor, finding great people on your team. It's like dating. Um, 
you're never going to end up with somebody if you're not yourself. Uh, so, you know, end up happily with somebody. So in that interview process, I think I find a lot of, you know, other founders, other people who are in hiring roles will tend to kind of put on a little bit of a show and act not in a malicious way by any means, but just because you're in sell mode, but you're not going to find that good fit. And you need different kinds of people who can function in the culture that you've built for your company. Um, so best way, best advice I have is just find a way, find a, find a way to build a process that helps communicate and, and let the candidate learn about you as much as you're learning about them. This kind of process and how did you set up the right relationship with uh, early team members? And uh, did you guys struggle about early team members while in the late process of the startup? And uh, if they don't scale while the startup is scaling? So do you have any recommendation for the founders who are getting scaled their team? Yeah, I mean, my biggest advice is, um, you know, not everybody you hire is going to be the right kind of person for every stage of your business. Um, and that might mean you have to have hard conversations about parting ways. And it also might mean you have to think through and be flexible around how this person's skill set can evolve with your company. Just because you hire someone for one role in one year doesn't can't be really beneficial and useful to your company. And they could be feel really fulfilled in a different role as the company evolves and changes. So that's, you know, having that flexibility, that mindset, I think is really important in, in retaining and, and getting a lot out of your talent. But then also being really uh, mindful about, you know, upfront with your hires. In the beginning, people come in and they're doing a lot because in a startup, you're always constrained resources. So people's scope is really large. And a lot of people really like that. But as you get bigger, people, you you naturally specialize people because you're starting to build teams as opposed to having one person doing all your marketing, you have six people doing marketing. So naturally your scope diminishes and that can be hard for people to, to appreciate um, when they're on the ground because they feel like they're losing, um, they're losing what they, what they got to do. And so I found, you know, you're never going to like fully eliminate that feeling because it sucks to, to lose part of your job in a, in a way, but I try to be as upfront as possible when I'm in a hiring process to explain how I see the team evolving and how I see their role potentially evolving um, and keep it very very open dialogue so that we're constantly in good communication um, about how we're feeling and what everybody is sort of doing and how that role evolves because things do move quickly. And unlike a large corporate environment, which I spent many years in before turning over to the, the tech and VC side of things, um, it's very malleable and very dynamic and changing. So if you don't have that good rapport with your employees and your team, people are going to be get unhappy um, very quickly. And objectivity is in, in, in that phase is important, right? To to be objective to your team members, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I think, you know, in terms of really being open to their ideas, their thoughts, I mean, at Little Spoon and my personal philosophy when I'm building teams, I like very flat structures. I don't like hierarchies. So, you know, I might run a team and there might be different levels of people, but it's not a, it's not a ladder that people are reporting up to. And I think that actually enables everybody to really value um, and have the opportunity to make an impact if they have a good idea. Uh, one of our company values is like, you know, an idea can come from anywhere. And that really means like, we don't care if you're the person, you know, packing our boxes, the person who's on the front line um, helping customers and they have questions or the person uh, who's, you know, building our website. If you have a great product idea, a great marketing idea, like we want you to share that. We want you to feel empowered to share that idea because you're coming at it from a different angle that the people maybe traditionally thinking about that, that part of the business aren't. 
um, and that's really powerful. So keeping that sort of flat landscape within a company, I, I personally believe is, is so powerful, especially in the early and growth stage of a startup. I get it. And in a startup process, uh, there are tons of problems like big and small problems. And what's your approach to handle the problems and putting them in a iteration loops in every time? And what do you recommend for the founders? Yeah, I mean, broad questions. So it depends on the problem. But generally speaking, um, I really like to, you know, approach a problem one, um, whether it was caused by a mistake that one of us made, someone on the team made, you know, that's for a postmortem. Like at this time, we're just focused on looking forward. How do we, how do we fix the problem? How do we, how do we come up with a solution for it? Not like, how did it go wrong? That is relevant to think about, but not in the moment. In the moment, because things are moving so quickly, you just got to put your head down and say, it's no big deal. We're going to figure this out together. So that's the first piece. Second, I, I, I tend to come to you know, the table with, uh, with a perspective or an opinion. I do, you know, as a founder, I'm very much uh, a believer in, in data and in facts, but I also have uh, a strong gut and I tend to rely on that gut feeling as my initial kind of perspective on how to approach something. And I think that's really important to founders because, you know, something I mentioned earlier, you're always operating in an environment of ambiguity. Um, you're never going to know enough. So if you're someone who has to have all the facts before making a decision, you shouldn't be a founder because you're never going to have all those facts. So I do like to come to the table with what I think that gut feeling is. And that's informed, obviously, by my experience with the business, other experiences, what I'm seeing, et cetera, et cetera. And then bring a couple of different perspectives to the table to figure out and validate that hypothesis, whether that's people in the company, uh, advisors, or someone who I believe you know has a particular um, expertise in the area that I'm handling, um, and really kind of go at it and and figure out pursue to solving this problem. Um, so kind of duke it out in that regard. Um, that's a big reason we're talking about hiring teams. For someone like me and for leaders who are similar to me, I like having people who are comfortable vocalizing their perspectives in a in a in a strong way because I'll come to the table with a strong perspective. So I want that to be pushed back on me. Um, biggest blind spot that a founder can have is thinking you're always going to be right, right? So you need to surround yourself not with yes people, but people who are willing to think critically with you. Um, um, so we'll go at it at that, you know, that angle, we'll figure out how do we implement it as, you know, most efficiently as possible, uh, and then measure, iterate and be comfortable constantly uh, pivoting, which is, uh, I think, a dirty word for some reason, especially in, in your world, you, you live in San Francisco, um, or at least you have lived in San Francisco. Um, but pivoting is not, not a bad thing. What I mean by pivoting is just, you're not always going to approach things in the right way. So sometimes you have to have to shuffle left and shuffle right. And you have to be comfortable doing that. Um, and it's very, very rare that a mistake or a problem you're solving is going to be the end all be all of your company. You might feel that way at the time, but mistakes happen, problems happen, uh, fires come every single day. So they're they're solvable if you have the right, the right people around the table. And in that way, it's like solving the problems. There are always outliers in a startup. They're kind of smart people, genius people, and sometimes can ruin the company culture as well. What do you recommend for founders how to perfectly manage the outliers for the sake of the company? Yeah, look, 
you're you're always going to have people around the table that that might um, come across potentially with great opinions and great ideas, but more you know their style is more direct or more abrasive for maybe the broader culture. The biggest piece of advice I have for that actually comes from you know my background in in corporate America. Um, what I learned from there and what I tried to carry over at Little Spoon is um, really great feedback. Um, so you keep that open communication, but you also have formal scheduled check-ins where you can just have real honest conversations that are coming from a place of like, we want each other to be successful. Um, and you're able to vocalize, hey, like you have great ideas, but like, guess what? Sometimes when you're delivering them, it might come across this way. That's And, and you have to assume the best in the people that you hire. Um, you have to assume they're not meaning to do that and give them opportunities to know and be self-aware um, that maybe they come across that way. If they're not, if these people aren't open to seeing that or open to feedback, that might be, you know, a reason to part ways with somebody on your team. But I've found maybe this is the the overly optimistic self, um, myself being overly optimistic, but I found most people really, you know, are coming from a good place and don't mean to be that way and are very open to trying to to change because it will make them more successful. So it's really just about giving them that ability to have the self-awareness and giving them the tools and opportunities to to do to approach things differently. I get it. And the most rated topic is fundraising and you have raised like 70 million and you were also an investor. So what really sells at the pitch, like traction team or combination of those? What really attracts the right VC? Uh, what do you recommend for the founders? Uh, you know, depending on what stage of your company you're raising money, I have slightly, I guess, different advice and that, and investors are looking for different things at different stages, obviously. You know, I'll, and I'll answer your question kind of indirectly, but a story. So first time I was fundraising for a little soon from, you know, like institutional VCs, not just individuals and angels and, and everything. Um, in part because I think I came from a more traditional VC background. I had, you know, my set of relationships um, who I was going after to kind of talk through the opportunity. And these were more traditional venture capitalists. And, you know, I found that I just sort of wanted to tick off the list and get through everybody because that's what that's what you do. And I'm doing air quotes, but obviously nobody can really see me, but that's, that's what you're supposed to do. Um, and that's a mistake because you need, just like any product market fit, just like you need the right co-founders, you need the right investor. And it's a waste of your effing time if you're going out there and pitching people that there's not a not a fit. For your type of company. I'm building a very particular type of company. We're very brand driven. We're very community driven. We are, you know, technology enabled, but we're not, you know, reinventing and, and creating new new technology in that way. We are a D2C e-commerce brand design driven company. Not every investor, especially in San Francisco and Silicon Valley, will want that. And that's totally okay. There are so many incredible like institutions and investors that um, specialize and get excited by very different things. But the trick is in the beginning to really understand that environment and go after the right people because you're going to be spinning your wheels. You're going to get a ton of no's in, in either regard, whether you approach it uh, with the right people or not. But if you're adding to your list of pitches, people who are never going to invest in your type of company just because it sounds like you should be pitching them, you're going to get way more no's than you need to. And you know, you're know you going to waste a ton of your time. Fundraising is extremely time consuming and can feel, especially as a 
the founder, um, like a waste of time sometimes, especially if you're post launch, because you're trying to operate a business. And then at the same time, you're doing five pitch meetings a day, traveling around the United States, trying to get people to, uh, to believe in, in you and invest in you. So that, that's my biggest piece of advice is like, be smart. Not every form of capital is right for every company. Just because your friend raised VC money doesn't mean VC money is right for you. There are many different class, asset classes. There are many different types of investors. So be smart about it. Um, that's my first piece of advice. Second piece of advice on the fundraising process and journey is to remember that this is about people. Um, investors, especially in the early stage, you have to have the numbers. You have to have, you know, especially post-launch, you need to have the traction. Um, I'm a very big believer in like unit economics from the very beginning. I never was able to wrap my head around companies that economically wouldn't make sense for 10 years. Um, so that's all important. But I think people tend to forget in this like pitch process that you're talking to another human being. You're just building a relationship. You're just getting to know people. So don't forget the human aspect of this process. People are betting on you as a founder. And I think every investor of mine would say that they're betting on me. They're betting on my team, right? They're not necessarily betting on the exact idea. And a good early stage investor understands that ideas and businesses change courses all the time. So they have to believe in you and how you approach problems and how you think. And so if you focus on that in the in the investment process, the rest will come. They're going to ask you the questions. You're going to get all the information out there. You don't have to rush it. Focus on first just being yourself, building that relationship, talking through problems, get to know the investor and how they think and bounce ideas off each other. And that's the best way to find um, a really great partnership with your investors. And I'm very fortunate that, that we have that partnership. Our Series A lead is an incredible, incredible partner to us. Um, and it's because I approach the process that way. I get it. Perfect. And my last question is about the consequence of the pandemic. What do you think about how the VC and the startup ecosystem, especially you're living in New York City, and half of the SF is leaving the cities. I don't know the New York City, but what do you think for the next couple of years, how it will shape the startups and is their cultures, their business models, and also the investment thesis of VCs while investing maybe more remote teams? I don't know. Uh, what do you think about it? Um, so a big philosophy I've always had in building companies and investing little soon embodies this philosophy, um, especially in the consumer. I'm a, I'm a consumer brand person. That's all my experience. That's what I focus on. So with this lens in mind, um, my philosophy has always been bring, you know, the best product to market that's and do it in a way that's accessible and affordable um, and recession proof. Um, I think that, you know, we're very fortunate that that's always been our approach at Little Spoon is how can we bring quality nutrition um, to, to the average American? How do we make feeding your child easy, simple, and affordable? Um, and not um, and that philosophy can be replicated in many different sectors um, in the consumer landscape. And I think with the pandemic, that philosophy of just focusing on let's solve a real life problem, let's do it in a way that's accessible, that's recession proof. If you're solving a problem that's not actually a problem, uh, it's not that important to you know humans' day to day life, and you're not focused on accessibility, I think that you that's when you run into really big issues when the economy turns. You might have a great ride um, when things are going well, but when things go sour, like COVID and people lose their jobs, you reduce your purchasing behavior and your consumer behavior to the things you really need. And your decision-making is, is very different um, than it was before. And when you look at some of our most successful, largest technology companies, they were all built 
built when, you know, when the economy um, went sour. There's a lot of case studies um, to show that the companies that last during challenging economic times actually create way more value in the long term for themselves, for society, for their investors. Um, so this this philosophy, this piece of advice goes for what I think is going to happen in the consumer VC landscape, as well as the kinds of startups that you see thrive um, over the next, you know, year, however, you know, your guess is as good as mine for how, how long we might be facing a, a very different economic landscape. I get it. Perfect. Lisa, thank you for coming to Founders of AQ. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. By the way, you can order Founders FAQ from the website. It covers the answers to all the possible questions of a founder in a startup journey, whether revealing life-saving principles for the startup survival path, building A-plus teams, creating an evolving machine, setting up a need culture, or interpreting the true path for the fundraising. And you can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook.